GMGM friends, you are now listening to the DJ and Aussie Apes, bringing you another weekly session on all things crypto and NFTs. Let's go. GM guys, I mean, we're super excited today to have Dow Master Dan in the house. Dow Master Dan, thank you so much for uh, making the time to come to the DJ Aussie App Studio, bro. Not a problem, dude. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'd like to pretend that you flew all the way down here in order to be here. Is Absolutely. That, the case? Yeah. that was the goal uh, right from the beginning. Yeah, 100%. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, usually we, how we start off is just full journey. Like, how'd you get into crypto? I was working in traditional finance. Mm-hmm. So um, I think some people will know this. I was working with uh, two of the big four banks. Nice. And pretty much I realized that there were a lot of issues with the traditional banking system. And I was like, there's a lot of pitfalls here. Settlement times is too slow. Um, like when you went to buy a house, it could take months just to get things to go through. Yeah, I just thought it was crazy. And so I was aware of Ethereum in 2017, actually, when I was still in high school. So oh, I knew nice. that Ethereum was popping off because of the ICO boom was happening. And I was like, it's interesting, but I'll, I'll come back to this later. Started looking into it um, and realized that blockchain could solve a lot of the problems of the traditional banking industry and sort of really jumped in head first, I want to say 2019. So that was before the last major bull market. It was mostly just to try and solve problems, right? And so I just sort of dove in, went through the rabbit hole and looked into a lot of the stuff I was interested in was like white papers because I really like to learn about the deep technology and you know what makes the car move, what's under the hood. That was really interesting to me. And then yeah, from there, it just kind of evolved more and more. And then eventually I got my first gig with Motor Dow, and then it's just kind of grown from there and now i've got my own company and work with multiple clients and it's, it's good fun yeah that's really interesting that you started in 2019 because i'm a 2017 oh, that was my first year of uni yeah but a lot of people got in because bitcoin started to pick up in price and yeah. it was in the headlines and you know everyone kind of bought the top what kind of drew you to you know getting into in 2019 because i think you're one of the few people i've met who actually got started in 2019 it's either 2017 or 2020 2021 when the yeah. kind of bull market happened yeah like I, I just um personally for me i like to try and find solutions to problems and one of the big problems i was facing was that things were too slow in the normal business and i was like i think i think there could be a solution here in blockchain and it was just it was really about the technology it wasn't about any price or ex- any spec uh, speculation or you know bitcoin's going to go to ten thousand dollars i i was really sort of far from that and for me it was just like what what tech am i building here what could be useful from this and what could this turn into yeah have you transitioned fully to the web3 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i transitioned fully into web3 in 2021 so, so two been, years later yeah, yeah 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 yeah. so like i just like it was pretty much just like a massive self-education like i just really really went in on it mm. and then um and yeah and so i've been full-time for a while and uh it's been amazing yeah it's really really good i love it because i was full-time web3 as well you know especially during the bull run it's easy to kind of just you know break it in doing some crypto trades and yep. just keeping on top of the markets yeah what's that been like throughout the bear market because you know as I'm, I'm sure you'll explain to us as well like are you getting paid in tokens are those tokens losing their price like is it like stressful not having that recurring income because i was definitely under the pump when i was just kind of trading full-time and it was like just drawing down my savings account as i was yep. just kind of profiting and seeing Maybe my ETH balance was going up, but that wasn't real money to kind of pay for pay for you know rent and food and stuff like that. So how was that? How was that journey for you? Should say I'm incredibly fortunate in that I don't have to worry about any of that. So the way that my business is structured and the way that the revenue works is I get paid in cash pretty much, and then I take equity in companies that I work with. So it's actually way less about the tokens and what potential fluctuations in price. Now it does sort of affect me when we think about token allocations and equity, but. What I'm also diversifying into as a result of the market going terribly um, is I'm sort of diversifying into 
not just Web3 companies, but Web2 companies looking to move into Web3 because that's also where a lot of the money is right now is people, mm. businesses waking up. So everyone's seen the massive giants, the Nikes, the LVMHs, the Balenciagas. Everyone's seen them start to move towards either Web3 technology or the metaverse or whatever it might be. Mm. And so now all these businesses are like, okay, does this new technology apply to me? And if it does, how do we make it work to our best advantage? And so I'm sort of working in that area as well as mine. And so, yeah, like, I'm not going to say it's all like, you know, dandy and roses and, and whatnot. Like there is always hardship. And as a result of the market dropping in value, mm. VCs and investors, they're way less likely to invest in technology. And so as a result, companies that I generally work with who are usually getting funding in the door aren't and therefore can't pay the bills, which means you have to start to look elsewhere. So there's absolutely disadvantages in the trials and whatnot, but mm. yeah, it's also really good. And I have to recognize that I am really lucky. No, thanks for sharing that. And I guess just for our listeners who aren't familiar, because equity in a company is very different from token allocation. So yeah. at a kind of high level, just for a beginner or someone who doesn't even know kind of what equity in a company means, can you explain the difference between, say for example, owning shares in something like Pummel, for example, as mm. opposed to owning tokens in Pummel, like they're not the same thing, right? No, no, no. So um, tokens are, I guess, if you think of shares in a company that aren't publicly traded, that's sort of where I exist right now. So with tokens, because they can be traded by the market and that's where your token allocation may sit, you may then experience fluctuations in value. But when I'm taking equity in companies, more often than not, the equity is not actually often tradable by the market. It's not available to the public. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the value doesn't necessarily fluctuate as much. And I guess as the company grows in value, so should the shares. So yeah, it's 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 slightly different way of looking at things. Of course, there's still risk involved, but yeah, there's just a different way to do it. Yeah, definitely. And what are your thoughts on cliffs and the vesting structures of most like kind of modern projects? You know, because we've seen a lot of tokens kind of go live and really just dump, you know, and the yeah. initial investors are just cashing out and exiting on retail liquidity. Mm. Bit of an overview on that for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. Um, so through fault of the market. So back in 2020, 2019, sorry, 2021, as long as you had like a white paper that was written out, someone was going to throw a couple hundred grand at you, right? So people were just earning money um, hand over fist. And then as a result, you sort of see these uh, improperly built projects because there's not really enough time and effort going into the product itself. They just build out the token and then, then they launch it live and they think they're going to make money from it. And so it just pumps due to speculation They've said that they have a cool product. People think they have a cool product. Therefore, I'm going to buy into what I think is a cool product. When people realize that it's actually all sort of fluff, you'll start to see massive selling pressure. There's also, when you're talking about cliffs investing contracts, um, if you don't have proper cliffs or vesting as part of it, then that's where you do see those massive sell-offs because people have jumped in, like investors, early investors may have jumped in at 20 cents at a pre-seed round. Then the, the token actually launches live on a market at $1. The investors technically already made, what is that, like 500%. So they don't have to wait around for the pump. They don't have to wait around for market behavior. They can just cash out immediately. And that can have a massive detractor on your actual value because if you've got all these people making money, mm. there's no proper financial cliffs. There's no proper financial uh, vesting periods. They get all the money. They can just sell out immediately and crash the price. Yeah, and it's kind of unfortunate because you think when you're buying it at the ICO, maybe at a dollar yeah. or IDO or IEO, whatever they call it nowadays, you think you know you're getting upside, and you might make a you know twenty to thirty percent gain when the token goes live, but yeah. you don't realize that there's investors behind the scenes who are already up five to ten x, and they're just waiting to kind of sell their tokens. Exactly so right. There's also like there's a there's a third thing here which um, is a, uh, people don't often recognize, and it's what happens after the token's launched onto the market, and it's like. 
a lot of companies don't build in levers that they can pull on that will then reduce the risk of selling pressure. Um, actual utility, so actual products your consumers can use, um, staking, liquidity providing, uh, even like if you're a DAO and you're doing governance, that can be used as a lever to pull on to reduce sell pressure because as you hold your tokens, you now have um, token weighted voting, right? So people don't think about that enough either. So they're just too busy caught up in, well, from what we've experienced, mm. people were too busy caught up in just selling tokens, making cash and not really thinking about the consequences after. Do you think people are incompetent and didn't think of the long-term implications? Basically, I'm asking you, do you think a lot of projects were kind of hard rugs and they just wanted to make their money from the token sale and let it kind of fade out? Or mm. was it just genuine? 100%. Uh, there, is, there is no way that there things happen in the space um, by people who are very obviously very clever weren't intentional if things were rugged or if things went improperly. And then there are other people who you can see, you're just like, yeah, they were just inexperienced and they just got in at the massive craze and they were like, this is an easy way to make money. But like, okay, for example, uh, if you think about influencers over in the States, I won't name any, but um, we all know who we're think thinking about. Mm -hmm. There were influencers out in the States who were just selling tokens and because it was the hot thing in the Web3 and they had this massive audience of impressionable young people who didn't know any better. Mm. And they were then selling these products to them that they knew were shit and they were making all the money off of their fans. So that's 100% intentional, but yeah. In terms of tokenomics, I'm guessing it's more ERC-20 tokens, which you're familiar with. But sure. do you think NFTs have kind of replaced the ICO kind of mania? It's like, hey, we've got an idea. Instead of just receiving 1,000 tokens with, you know, that are all the same, we're going to release 10,000 NFTs yep. at a higher ticket price and do that. Do you think that's kind of how the model has transitioned for 2017, 2018 ICO mania? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, NFTs were absolutely the cause of the biggest boom like last season. Um, they were the coolest thing in the market. Everyone was super excited about them. And I think it was also the difference between, because obviously ERC-20 tokens are coins and ERC-721s or 1155s are NFTs. The biggest difference from a consumer or a, a speculative perspective is one of them is a currency and one of them is technically a digital asset. Asset. Yeah. So that was also a massive shift. Like it's the difference between buying Australian dollars or buying stocks in Apple, right? One's an asset, one's a currency. And I think that's where a lot of the, what drove a lot of the bull market. Now, my thing for the next step is I think what's going to really drive probably the next one is, is product. Um, like actually usable good product that is using the chain for a good reason. You know, there was that massive dot-com boom back in, you know, 99 and 2000. Then after everything that happened, Everyone was sort of in this weird lull period and you couldn't just launch a website anymore and make money off of it immediately. You had to have something that people wanted to use. Yep. And so then the next huge internet wave, if I remember correctly, and I was very young, obviously, I think it was just like the Facebook thing and the MySpace thing when all these social media started to come out of it. And uh, it, it seems like the a genuine reason for a product found a genuine reason for the internet. And that's where things went. And I think we're sort of in that period again. And it's like what products will come next to really boost the, the, the sentiment. And by product, you mean kind of DAP, right? Like some something built on-chain or can it just be off-chain with some kind of something on the side? Yeah, well, basically. anything and everything. Like, for example, so um, if you think about like shipping, shipping cost, uh, well, the entire world of shipping and delivery could easily be expedited or at least made more efficient by using on-chain data because then you can always track it. It's, um, it's transferable transparent and, and provable, right? Mm -hmm. So you can always see where the shipping is at, how it's going, what's happening. So that's a very traditional Web2 business. You wouldn't call shipping Web3, but they're using the underlying blockchain technology to amplify their business. So I would consider that a product, but then I also would consider dApps and stuff like that. Um, that also is a product, of course. Yeah, product and services. I was looking at your client list. Do you take on anyone or, or do you have to meet them first and see if you can help them? Or are you at a stage where you know you can help them and you'll just take them on. Yeah. I always have a conversation first because 
you don't want to have like it's um i ethically feel that it's wrong to just because it's the hot thing to just let someone in because they think they need the technology mm. it's more so about having the conversation is it necessary for you to work with me and like how can i actually help you achieve the goals that you have and how prepared do they come to these meetings <laughs> it's it depends a little bit on the project so one of the projects i work with is in and they're a dating company and it's it's web 2 based right and so the knowledge of Web3 within that team, it's all sort of predicated in, in my area. And it makes sense from a business model what they want to do. But it, it makes sense for me to kind of jump on board and help them and work through it with them. But then, for example, like um, Mo Money, which is a carbon credits launch pad, that's just a no-brainer. That's super obvious. It's like, okay, you want to create a, a launch pad that sells credits on-chain um, and it's all green energy investing. Yep, cool. Let's do it. Interesting. In terms of your services, I can see you do a lot of things here. I'll just read it out for the audience. DAO creation, tokenomic modeling gamification of complex systems, staking mechanics, research analytics, high-level strategizing, the list goes on. You obviously know who, who's talking to you. Like, which mm. services are really in demand, like, you know, as of recent? The tokenomic stuff, mm -hmm. gamification of complex system stuff, and the DAO stuff. Those are, like, the, the bread and butter, of course. And then I also find that I, um, like, I lead a lot of product teams, so I'm building out products because of the technical knowledge I have, I can sort of exist in that area between software engineers and developers and then the founders and sort of relay the information back and forth. But yeah, it's mostly those those top three. Yeah, interesting. Do you want to walk the audience just through quickly, like at a once again at a high level, mm. what it takes, like what a DAO creation is? Yeah, so um, DAO creation in a sense is it's twofold. So one of which is can either stand a DAO up, uh, sorry, stand up a DAO from the ground up. So right from the beginning, what's your purpose? You're trying to incentivize community to do something. So what are we doing and what are we building? And then there's the other aspect, which is um, you can disseminate an entire project into a DAO. So whereby you sort of take the power of decision-making away from those who are usually centralized and in charge and disseminating that out to your um, to those within the project or within your community. I guess there's a third too where you can just introduce DAO mechanics into traditional business structures, but that's something that's not obviously happened just yet because people are a little bit scared of the tech. Mm. what makes a good project like with tokenomics behind the scenes um so good tokenomics good tokenomics are not guaranteed to give you a good price so that's a big thing a lot of people get the misconception that like oh if i've just built the most robust tokenomics in the world my price is guaranteed to go up in price and that's not true because we know the market behaves the way the market behaves mm. really what tokenomics will do is it should allocate the portions of tokens properly to where they should be going um, it should enable your community to have some say in what the project is even if you're not necessarily a DAO. it's good to give some sort of uh, value back to your community. It should coincide really nicely with the product you're offering, the main thing your business is actually sold on. The tokenomics should not be the business. That's why we see projects fail. And then it's also about figuring out where it fits into the ecosystem from a gamified perspective as well, depending on how you want to build out your stuff. So tokenomics can be quite in-depth with really it's the backbone of how the business runs and functions on chain. Yeah, I like what you said. Um, tokenomics should not be the business. Absolutely. On, on the Australian scene, a lot of projects kick off and you want to support them, but some of these basics just, you know, get overlooked. Yep. You know, so I hope uh, listeners out there, anybody with a project, to, to maybe just take a couple steps back and, and rethink things because um, uh, it's not that easy. It's the fundamentals that mean the most in a lot of instances. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And I think people get caught away. They're like, oh, can kind of a, a question that I've been asked before, can Shiba Inu hit one cent? And then you kind of do the multiplication. It's like, well, that would be like a trillion dollar market cap, which right. is really unlikely. Right. What are some kind of examples, just like that one that I've given, that people should be careful of when it comes to... For me, the, the two biggest red flags are APIs that seem way too ridiculous to be true. Now, 
personally for me, my standard is anything over 20% is, uh, a, is a fraud because of what happened with FTX. So they were guaranteeing 20% returns. That is the new maximum line for me. And even if it was saying 19%, I'd be incredibly skeptical and probably wouldn't put my money into it. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's seen projects offering 1,000% APR, even 100% APR, run away from it. And then the other thing, um, like I mentioned before, is if the tokenomics is the business and you can tell that that's all it is. If there's no product, if you're not investing into anything, if all you're doing is buying a token and potentially staking it, you're currently within a Ponzi scheme and you should run. Yeah, no, I really appreciate those insights. Yeah. Can't remember who said this. I've heard this in another podcast, but there's a kind of rule with no magic numbers. So it's like, you can't just decide the APR is 100%. There should be a dev who just sets that, you know, with Ethereum, right? The staking yield is based on how much Ethereum gets used. You know yep. what I mean? Like if people are using Ethereum every single day, you know, a portion of that is getting burnt, a portion of that is getting sent to the stakers, mm. there's MEV. There's really like a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So what are some good examples of projects or coins which are kind of playing it fairly in, in terms of tokenomics? In terms of, so I, I wouldn't name any coins in particular, but what I would do is like, if you're looking at a coin and researching it and figuring out what runs this coin, you need to be making sure that the tokenomics have some sort of purpose and what's going on. So I guess to your point, uh, it doesn't make any sense. If the project is not running um, with an actual product, if the project has just literally just tokens, mm. I, would, I would just make sure that I'd be running away from it. With like, for example, Ethereum, the APR can essentially adjust based on activity on chain. So that's sort of like an ever-changing fluctuating price. But with some projects and a lot of them, you'll see that they actually have maybe 100 million tokens that they start off a project with and they might assign 20 million tokens to staking. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually see a predictable uh, interest rate over time because at some point rewards will hit zero. So I would also be looking out for that. If you can see that, um, because most projects operating off of that would be operating off of what we call a bond curve. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can see that bond curve slowly depreciating over time, you can predictably calculate what interest will be like over time and maybe plan your entries and exits or just go into the project a little bit more informed about what you're doing. Yeah, no, that's really valuable. In terms of tools, uh, have you come across a platform called Token Terminal before? I feel like I've heard that name before, yeah. It's kind of like a, it actually shows you which protocols are accruing revenue, what the price is. Oh, like no, yes, is. that's where I got it from you on, yeah. on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah there yeah, you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did a, we actually did a space on tokenomics together on LinkedIn. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it's funny that we're catching up and talking about the exact same thing all over again, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all good. Like, are there any tools like people can use? Because it, it is a bit difficult to kind of navigate through like a block explorer, like Etherscan sure. to read the white paper. And even the white papers or the light papers as they're commonly done now, just a website with information. Yep. Don't always display the full picture. Where, do you, where would people go for kind of a universal source of truth when it comes to tokenomics? You sort of have to start at the light paper and white paper. Now, it's just like, it's a, it's a weird and annoying thing. But for me, that gives you the best description of anything you will hear. Because everything else, in some sense, is like the third party just giving you some sort of information that relates to that central source of information. For example, so Token Terminal and we have got UXs and you've got UIs that sort of pick up on-chain data, they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. But if you really want a good understanding of what the project's intentions are or what they're trying to put out, you need to look at either their light papers or white papers. But what we're also finding recently, there's a new trend and people are using Gitbooks, which is helping to disseminate information a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And personally for me, I've, I've built out two Gitbooks already and it helps a lot to break down what are complex concepts where like white papers are just ridiculous technical documents that you have to spend hours poring over to understand what you're reading mm-hmm. to a Git book, which is much more, I guess, just user-friendly, community-friendly. So I would be looking for projects that are also giving you Git books to read through. Yeah, awesome. No, I fully agree. Git book's amazing. And yeah. it's just really good to click into a tab and instantly get the information because yeah. most people aren't kind of math or you know crypto you know natives when it comes to reading Solidity. But Correct. I did just want to pivot to that as well. Yeah. During the ICO mania, there was a lawyer who was actually reading through the smart contracts for ICOs and seeing that 
a lot of the conditions which were promised, for example, you know, cliffs or vesting after six to 12 months or anything like that, weren't yeah. actually hard-coded into the smart contract. Interesting. Personal question for you, do mm. you know Solidity, which is, you know, the language used to kind of write on Ethereum virtual machine? Mm. So do you know Solidity and do you think that's crucial to kind of understanding like tokenomics and some of that stuff? Uh, no. So um, personally, I know a little bit about Solidity, just enough to get by to talk through to developers, Same nowhere near enough to actually build something. Mm -hmm. um, and it has not affected my knowledge on tokenomics in any way. Really all it's done is it's given me an understanding as to how to maybe build smart contracts or how certain functions should work to have a certain output. But that's more like, again, product and like development side. So mm -hmm. no, I wouldn't say Solidity, understanding it, you, you'd have to worry about coding language to understand what tokenomics are. Yeah, awesome. I'm sure our audience would appreciate that as well. Yeah. That they don't have to, you know, because Solidity can do my head in sometimes, yeah. I'm sure it's done for you. Which yeah. brings, uh, you know, if you want to share with the audience, how big's the team? Do you have uh, partners in crime? Are you a solo shop? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm fortunate that I have a few people. So I work with Oz NFT to do my PR and content and stuff like that. My dad um, does all of my like finances and looks after the money and thing, which is good fun. Um, I have one of my friends who helps to also work in with like production and with music and stuff like that for content. Um, I have another friend who is currently at university studying software engineering. So he helps me a lot with the technical side. Mm -hmm. um, he's, like, he's the best investment, by the way. Like if you can, if you can find a university student software engineer, they're incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and then outside of that, it's mostly just like, uh, like third parties or agencies that might work with me. So for example, I have a development agency I work with based over in Copenhagen. Um, and they are sort of like an in-house dev team that helped me with building our projects. The product manager role is, is pretty much what you're doing. You're in the middle, you, yep. you're not too technical, you're running the business, you're yep. meeting the clients. Yeah, correct. So what's, uh, what's your next milestone? Uh, so um, weirdly enough, I really want to crack the dual token model. So right now it hasn't, like it's a, obviously a weird milestone, right? Um, but dual token model hasn't been cracked successfully just yet. Can you explain that for our audience who yeah. might not oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so a, a dual token model is exactly how it sounds. It's like instead of having a single token in your ecosystem, you have a dual token. Um, projects that have used dual token models before are Axie Infinity, um, Steppen, a lot of the game apps that sort of came out um, off of the last bull run. Um, so I'm trying to crack it because uh, in like history has shown us that the dual token model doesn't actually work, not the way that these guys have built it out. Mm -hmm. And if I can figure out a way to build out a dual token model properly, then for me it means that Web3 user adoption can occur at a much larger scale. Do you might like? Do you want to go in deep? Like how deep? Yeah, let's go? let's whatever you Let's start with. off basic, but if you end up going deep, we'll, oh, we'll go deep. Okay, yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> so um, currently, right now, the way that it works with Axie Infinity and with Steppen, they used two tokens that were both tradable and they both had a finite supply and they used inflationary and deflationary mechanisms to try and keep the price level in, in one of them, try and keep it stable. Mm -hmm. Didn't work obviously because what happened was people started to earn too many rewards by playing the games too crazy because people will just sit at their desk for 16 hours a day and mine tokens um, and then started to cash out and it started to erode the rewards and erode the token value and therefore we started to see massive plummets. Mm -hmm. um, and it also meant that when they were actually earning the physical funds in game, there weren't enough levers or utility to keep them within the game to keep earning. It just became a job for some people. Like even, I, I know that uh, there's some statistic where over in, I think it was the Philippines, yeah. people started leaving their full-time jobs because they could make enough money by playing Axie Infinity. Yeah, like even grocery stores were accepting yep. Smooth Love Potion, the yep. like the, the second of the two tokens. Exactly. But just on that topic as well, would you consider it a dual token system? Because with the Axie Infinity and even the step in, you had an NFT and then you also had, you know, the Axie Infinity governance token. Or yeah. let's let's look at Axie for example. You had the NFT, the Axie that you could play using the game. Then you had the Axie Infinity governance token. But then you also had the Smooth Love potion, which was used for breeding. So yeah. I'm not too familiar with the Axie. I just 
bought the governance token and ended up doing really well. But yep. do you feel like that's more like a try point system? Yeah, or? yeah. yeah. I would say that's obviously like that's a like a triple token system, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, and again, though, like who's still playing Axie Infinity? Maybe maybe people in the Philippines who are still yeah yeah like it's just like the the massive hype has died down. Those initial rewards that they would have supplied based off of what we were talking about token allocations, you got a hundred million, you add twenty million or whatever it is. Those initial rewards would have been eaten over time. So, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that if it's two finite supply tokens that are both tradable and both valuable, I think it'll fail. So what I'm trying to do is, um, and this has already sort of been proven in the Web2 space, if we take Apex Legends, for example, um, I use it as my, always my example because I play it a lot. Apex Legends has a really interesting in-app currency system called Apex Coin. Mm. And so as a result of the, the way that the game works is you can purchase Apex Coin to then purchase skins in-game, you can purchase supply drops in-game, you can purchase the game car pass, which is essentially the premium version of Apex. Um, and so they've used this in-app currency to then essentially support the rest of the ecosystem. So if that works, why wouldn't it then make sense to peer that token, which is essentially infinite and valueless because you can't actually, you can't sell your Apex coins back for Australian dollars Mm -hmm. with a finite supply, valuable tradable token. And the reason why I think that'll work as well is because with the Web2 side of it and with the Apex side of it, Mm. um, people who've never dabbled in Web3 before don't have to understand Web3 to be able to play Apex and use the in-app currency. Mm. Right, so if you can peer those two, if you can peer the Web two elements properly with the Web three elements, we might then see a massive adoption curve into the Web three space of people who are now educating themselves in how currencies may work in a different type of ecosystem than they're used to. Yeah, very interesting. Because I know, if, I think Fortnite does the same thing as well. You turn fiat into V bucks and yep. then you use the V bucks to spend on skins. Yep. Wouldn't that remove some of the speculation around? You know, like you're not gonna if there's an infinite supply of a token that effectively makes it worthless unless you go through a specific bridge to get your fiat into v bucks or apex tokens mm. how do you see that the market reacting to that will web3 navies be like i can't make any money on this i'm not interested i'm going to pass or is that you can exclude them from buying it on the market like there's not going to be any liquidity like how would you see that kind of model playing no, out? like yeah I mean, and the so for me um and again what i've sort of been toting about on this podcast that it's based around the product i'm not i don't care about the value or about the bros mm. who want to try and make a quick bag i'm trying to build out legitimate products that make sense and work contextually across both ecosystems mm. so you know if you if someone comes to the app and they see oh i can't make any money off this i don't want that person on the app anyway it's mm. the people who come to the app and they're like this is a sick game i'm going to play this and i'm going to learn how to play this game and maybe in a year's time after i'm a bit more savvy oh i can burn these tokens at a dynamic burn rate that ensures rewards are not eroded mm. to exit the ecosystem and make some money back sure i'll give it a try uh, I love that. Since you mentioned Apex, what are your thoughts on um, Gods Unchained and Immutable X? Oh, uh, yeah, I think Immutable X is awesome. Uh, mostly because Immutable X, as far as I understand it, I, I read their white paper a little while ago, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's they're looking at using ZK rollups um, for scaling on, on Ethereum, and I'm a massive nerd when it comes to rollup technology. I think optimistic rollups are stupid, um, and anyone can come at me for it if they want to. ZK rollups will win. And so as a result of that, what Immutable are trying to do and trying to build out this incredibly scalable essentially a chain for distribution of NFTs and whatever else may come up over the next few years. I think it's fantastic. I love what they're doing. Mm, yeah, same it. here. It's simple enough for, yeah. you know, you mentioned the audience that's just enjoying the game, yeah. but they are learning about Web3 slowly, you know, yeah. wallet this, the cards are actually NFTs, you can mint your cards and then there, there is a currency involved, which has got tokens, you know, it's, it's good for the gaming sort of people that are going to enter crypto through gaming. I think immutable, just, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it also um, just uh, leads credence to their ability to build out really beautiful UX as well, right? So, like, that's a massive part of it. So much stuff in blockchain is still, like, 
even I might look at a website sometimes with like a whatever a landing page, and I'm just like, how the fuck do I use this? Sorry, yeah. can I swear? Yeah, 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 swear, yeah. yeah. How the fuck can I use this, right? And I'm for someone who works in blockchain. So uh, it, when you see people building out really beautiful UX that's super easy to understand and like the Web3 is sort of secondary and it's sort of hidden behind the technology but runs the ecosystem, that's Beautiful. like chef's kiss. Yeah, no, 100%. I think yeah. if it's, you know, in order to onboard the masses, we've got to make this as simple as possible. You don't want to lose all your assets because you accidentally gave your seed phrase to someone yeah. or especially money as well. Like that's a massive thing. But I did want to pivot to DAOs. Obviously you are DAO Master Dan. Yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> not Dan Master DAO as, as, <laughs> as Shaheen said before. But, um, you know, and I'm, I've actually heard you a- answer this exact same question before. So I'm going to flip it a little bit. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on ENS DAO? Um, I think what ENS DAO has done is, is really, really interesting. And they've managed to carve out a really cool niche amongst the entire Web3 community. It's not often I can scroll through t- Twitter without seeing someone mentioning that they've just bought a new ENS. Um, and I think it's also really cool because it gives a lot of Web3 businesses a legitimate identity that is tied to the on-chain part that they're working with, right? So it, it sort of, it feels like it's pulling it back to the technology and I love what they're doing. Um, I like what they did with their airdrop. The problem with ENS is that it's relatively speculative by nature because other than saying that, you know, I might be Dan.eth, there's not a whole lot of utility attached to it. And I think the speculation comes into just normal DNS, right? If you can, if I could buy Dan.eth and then create a website that is specific to that ENS, Mm -hmm. that's massive utility. That's massive value right there. You can do that so you can attach attach uh, a Bitcoin address, a Litecoin address, a Dogecoin address. You can attach an avatar, uh, but you can also upload, if you, you can upload a link to IPFS and host like a website there. You can act, So you can actually host websites with your yeah. .eth. So if you go to vitalik.eth.link, yeah. uh, that'll actually bring up Vitalik's homepage and that's hosted like so through his ENS. Vitalik.eth.link? Yeah. Or there's also .limo as well. Oh, cool. So yeah, look, if you want to give that a try on your phone. So that's happening, but it's still kind of like, no one's made it mainstream yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. try vitalik.eth.link. So, I mean, that's a fun thing. I like to learn new things. So obviously, I was wrong about that. But regardless, um, I still think that because, like you said, it hasn't quite reached, reached that adoption curve, it still seems a little bit speculative just by nature. Well, yeah, just on that point as well, I think the .limo extension um, was actually malicious at one point. So maybe I don't think they renewed it or anything. So that could have opened up a lot of people to vulnerabilities. So. Yeah. Definitely early days. And if you look on chain, I'm, I'm guessing like more than 99% of ENSs are not linked to any kind of website right. or anyone's because you got to pay gas to update your socials as well. Exactly. But you yeah. can include your Twitter handle. You can put stuff. So I, I haven't even done it. You know yeah. what I mean? And I know that's a feature. So yeah. it yeah. also sounds like that's um, a little bit of a headache. Like you'll also find that with these brand new technologies, there's a lot of friction points to be able to even just do something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other, it's a fun story. The other day, I spent an hour m- removing $100 out of an EOS wallet because I didn't have enough CPU. Oh, my, my condolences. Dude, I, <laughs> I'm so done with EOS. And I was just sitting there just sort of like banging my head against the wall. I was like, how much goddamn EOS do I need to stake just to get this $100 out of it? Mm-hmm. And then eventually I was like, fuck it. I'll just like, I downloaded, I think it was Wombat and it came with CPU preloaded. And I was like, I'll just move it into that and I'll move it into here. And then... It's just, yeah, no, don't go on EOS, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. And another DAO I wanted to run by you. So thanks for your thoughts on ENS. Um, you know, I guess we all learn stuff on the podcast, right? So that's <laughs> awesome. Um, but what are your thoughts on Nouns DAO? Oh, dude, yeah, Nouns DAO is sick. So um, I spoke at NFT Fest about DAO architecture and I was talking about how if you're like a, 
what hasn't been done just yet is building out an entire DAO ecosystem where there's a core DAO, there's a micro DAO, and then there's also a macro DAO attached to it. But what Noun DAOs have done, like they're sort of halfway. So they've got, they're very prevalent with their core DAO, which then hands out funding and grants to those who create micro DAOs for Nouns. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely love what they're doing. I love what they're trying to do for their community. I love the power that they're giving back to their community. The function on like how you enter the DAO where it's only one NFT minted every day and it's on auction until the end of the day. Also very, very cool. Um, like overall, I think what Nouns are doing is fantastic and I hope that they keep moving in the direction that they're moving in and not like, you know, try to pivot or adjust because what they're doing is perfect, I think. Yeah. And, and just on that as well, because, you know, like you, you could look at floor price or prices, some of these DAO tokens. Do you believe that most DAO tokens are accurately priced? Because most of the time they're just following the market, right? Personally, for me, I think don't try to invest in a DAO token if you're trying to make money back. I mm -hmm. think invest in a DAO token if you're actually trying to have a legitimate impact in what that DAO is doing. That's that's where I see the value play is. So um, whether or not it's priced accordingly, whether or not, you know, for example, Olympus DAO had that massive parabolic push because of their rebasing tokenomics. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not the project is doing that value, you should really be only investing in the project if it's DAO if you want to um, give back to it and share your voice and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, very interesting. I do want to get your thoughts because there's massive tokens. Like there's one called BitDAO, mm -hmm. um, which I hardly know anything about. I think it's got a billion dollar market cap. Is that one you're familiar with or are there just too many DAOs for you to keep there's up? There's so many DAOs to keep up. Like even, um, so I, I'm on Snapshot regularly because MotorDAO, we do proposals pretty often. And mm -hmm. so I've seen it grow from something like 8,000. I saw it, I think, it, I think I started using Snapshot when it was about 8,000 spaces and I've seen it grow up to, what, 11,000, 12,000 plus at this point and like within about six months. So DAOs are springing up like mushrooms at the moment and it's just trying to, you, a lot of it's just trying to figure out, you know, what's just noise and, and what's actually here to stay. Yeah, for sure. In terms of what's here to stay, you mentioned Snapshot. Would you say the the UX of Snapshot, which is a, an on-chain kind of voting platform, to mm. put it as simply as possible for yeah. our audience, yeah. do you think that that still has a long way to go? Because it's kind of simple in the sense you log into your wallet, you join, you can see the proposals. Do you think that that could be improved and made easier? Like, what are your thoughts on kind of the on-chain voting system in its current form? So personally, I think the UX of Snapshot right now as it exists is, is simple enough and easy enough to use. But where I think they can um, they can get even more simple is, and they might already have this, but like proper use of API integrations into your website. So instead of someone coming to where your community is based and then leaving to go to Snapshot to try and vote on, it's all sort of baked into the one platform. So I know that there's, for example, there is a platform called wonderverse.xyz and they enable, I'm pretty sure they enable voting on their platform as a result of either connecting the snapshot API or it's their own sort of voting mechanics, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But regardless, they allow for voting on the platform and you can sort of build out your own DAOs on the platform. So you can build out the voting, you can build out where people can create proposals, you can build out like a message board, which is similar like a forum, like Reddit, for example. So... There are projects out there that are specifically Web3 based that are coming that already sort of provide this. But I think, you know, eventually we're going to have so many DAOs out there and so many people on different types of platforms that with voting mechanics like Snapshot are really important, they could really take a lot of market share by having API that sort of plugs in everywhere. It makes sure. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously I'm not going to ask you for price predictions or anything like that. You know, obviously everything in this podcast is not financial advice. If Bitcoin's I'm going to $10 million in six <laughs> months, baby. <laughs> that's, that's not, I'm, I'm totally lying. It's not, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about Bitcoin. I, I want to stress that. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. In terms of what projects you're kind of working on, you know, like MotorDAO is one of them. And, you, yeah. know, you know, I've heard you speak about MotorDAO as well as Joan Westenberg as well. Yeah. Um, What's one project that you're kind of bullish on in the kind of DAO, you know, which has the word DAO in it, you know, and was working towards a DAO model. 
what's one token that you're think that you think is going to build something really awesome in the next 12 to 24 months um so i mean we already spoke about them nouns dow i think you're like on the really on the right track um i want to see more and more nft related dow starting to come out so i want to see more about i want to see more from mutant cats personally i've already spoken about them in one podcast previously where they were doing really cool stuff <laughs> they've been maybe i'm just like not paying attention but they seem a little bit quiet for the time being yeah so it'll be good to see them picking things up um just for an overview because i know about mutant cats but what are they just for our, our listeners who might not know, because they're kind of OG when it comes yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well. Um, well, mutant cats are pretty much like a, a a bit of an older NFT project, essentially, where they're trying to give the power of, I guess, the project. They're trying to put the power of ownership back into their community's hands. They've been really clear, and they're making really good steps to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mutant cats are super sick. Yeah, yeah. So they own a bunch of blue chip NFTs. Is that right? Like board apes, mutants, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And members of the community can use kind of them as their PFP and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly right. Awesome. Sorry, I like those those <laughs> things are like they just like they just feel normal to me. I, I apologize for not explaining properly. Oh, that's all good because I remember <laughs> I remember going down the rabbit hole too and being like, wow, okay, they own like some incredible amount of like blue chip NFTs, and mm. that's part of the treasury. I'm guessing they've got ETH as well. Yeah. So that's a really awesome aspect of a DAO. So. Yeah. And then obviously they're letting community members decide on which NFT and blue chip NFTs they should be purchasing or looking at, or potentially creating proposals to suggest which blue chip NFTs they should be purchasing. Um, but yeah, so sorry. Um, back to the point. Nouns. Um, obviously. Mutant cats, and I have to be a little bit biased, but there will be some really cool stuff coming from MotorDAO over the next 12 months. Um, so I have to put that little plug in there. Um, yeah, expect some cool things. I love it. Generally, before we wrap up, we like to ask the mental health questions. So, you know, mm. times are tough, you know, the markets are, you know, taking a hit. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just generally like, I feel like things are getting harder and harder week by week, right? And it's hard for people as well to kind of navigate this space when there's so much happening. You know, Twitter's blowing up 24 7 new rugs are happening every day, you know, someone's, you know, someone's getting exposed on Twitter or whatever it is. But yeah, generally, how do you kind of stay sane amidst all the chaos of, of this market? Um, well, I guess just normal stuff. So like tons of exercise, making sure you're getting out there and sort of like moving your body and getting around, um, listening to plenty of music as much as I can. Music always helps. Um, and then I guess learning to take a break. So, um, so many of us are ready to sort of just jump in and power through these massive, you know, 12, 14, 15, maybe 16 hour days without really taking care of ourselves. Mm. And if you're doing that, you know, I'm one of those people who sorts of sort of does that. You go down the rabbit hole, right? You don't even realize you're doing right, it. And then right. you haven't eaten for six hours. You just sort of like, like you that. exist in that flow state and you just need to learn to take a step back and have a breather and make yourself a tea or coffee or whatever it is and step away from what you're doing because you're going to burn yourself out. Like last year, I burned myself out three times on accident. Um, you never know. It's just going to sneak up on you and you're going to wake up sick one day. Um, mm. So just make sure you're being mindful of that. Mindful. And in terms of like, do you take days where you're completely off Twitter or like off socials at Absolutely. all? Absolutely, dude. Um, Sundays for me, I go out in the morning, I go play golf, I come home, I play video games and I do, I get as far away from my desk as I possibly can. Because all the rest of the six, I feel like you're just constantly putting out fires pretty much. Yeah, exactly. It's not even like a nine to five, is it? It's kind of a no. 24 seven. No. First the, thing I do, check the prices, yeah. you know, just always plugged in, talking to someone about Web3. So the, uh, it really is mentally exhausting. The burden and then also like the biggest gift of Web3 is you can pretty much do it all from your phone. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Advice for our listeners out there is learn to unplug. Yeah. You have to learn to unplug. Otherwise, you will get sick. It's harder to recover, but uh, very wise words. And just looking at you, for those of you who can't see on video, fit fella. So, uh, Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, golfer, obviously. Yes, and sir. Do you do gym as well? Uh, I just go for jogs pretty much. Just like that cardiovascular, get that, that cardio in. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Dan, thank you for joining us today. And uh, hopefully we'll have you uh, again, you know, uh, in a couple of months to get an update on the Dow and everything amazing you're doing. Absolutely. 
that's it from the DJ Aussie Apes here. Dan, DMD, John, and Wasi. See you next time, folks. <laughs>